Hey, what's up, guys? Lucas Burnley here, along with my co-host, TJ Schwartz. You are listening to the Edge and Flow podcast. How's it going, TJ? I'm doing great. Nice. About to take a week off, so it's like yeah. the first week off that doesn't involve having a baby in yeah. probably years. In the last one. Yeah. <laughs> For right. years. That's exciting, man. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, my wife's really excited. We yeah. were uh, we were just talking about this right before we started recording, which is I right now am on the other end of the spectrum. Um, I'm doing show prep for the Kentucky Custom Knife Show, which is one of my favorites, but I greatly overestimated the amount of time I would have to work around family events and the holidays, and I'm paying for it. Yeah, the holidays, man, They when you're self-employed, they come with a double edge, you know, <laughs> I love the holidays truly do. I do but too. Yeah. You can get kind of piled up on yeah. the work side, uh, especially Maddie basically manages it because I've, I've been self-employed for so long. I don't think, I don't think in holidays. Yeah. Like any holiday, it doesn't matter. I just have mm-hmm. never been aware of it. And if you're selling stuff like directly, I mean, yeah. Q4, fourth quarter of the year is always the, the boom three months, you know, yeah. November, December, it's big time. So it's like you're going one way with your personal life and then demand and business is going the other way. I know, man. Oh, yeah. Scheduling, scheduling. Um, all right. So today we got one that's kind of fun to talk about. I think we're going to talk about earning versus learning um, and how they relate, relate to being a craftsperson. Um, for me, at least, I am most happy when I'm learning something new, um, problem solving, and I'm very ADD. And so I can get distracted by things that are shiny that I would like to experiment with. Um, Mm -hmm. what that's translating to right now is over the last year, I've been putting together like a little Smithy in, in a corner of my shop. So I've got a propane forge. I've got a, uh, Anyang, what is it like the 68 kilo power hammer and a 25 ton press from coal. All of this has been like slowly building. And where I messed up was the only thing I didn't really have set up was an anvil. And a buddy of mine had an anvil stand and he was like, Hey, you want to just borrow this? And I did. And now everything's complete and I'm in the middle of show prep and I'm looking over at all this equipment. And I want to play with it. And it just got all put together. Yeah. Just got all put together. And that was the thing before it was like, (laughs) it was, it was in process, but now it's functional. Right. So I'll come back to my solution on kind of how I'm dealing with it. But is this something that you run into? Earning versus learning. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. What does it look like for you? I spent a big number of years, I mean, like six or eight years heavily in the learning phase, like heavily in the, you know, on the digital side for me and, and just experiencing manufacturing, but not really getting directly involved in it. So I was, I was licensing designs to companies, um, but actually designing the knives wasn't like that enormous uh, chunk of time as far as like my yearly schedule. Right. A lot of it was like I was exploring technologies and understanding manufacturing. And I would say it was like six or eight years. It was like a master's degree or a PhD in learning about the knife industry. Yep. 
and dealing then, with the companies, everything. Yeah. So it's not that you're learning any one specific thing. It's that the majority of your work, you are learning. Mm-hmm. And and it was work that, like, I would be exploring uh, different concepts and how to model it in CAD. So a lot of it was like the medium I was working with of the right. digital environment. Like, how do I get it to do what I want? Um, and then I think what what the page that I turned in the last like two years, twenty four months or so is I said, basically, I'm freezing learning for a little while, and I'm going to just turn completely to earning. So it wasn't yeah. like a weekly or daily or monthly thing. It was like multi-year and then switch. And now I'm in like a multi-year phase of like, I wouldn't say I'm learning a whole lot besides the fact, I'll, I will change that. In the shop, I'm learning a lot in terms of right. making the knives. But, but it's, it's, ma- it's like macro. You are learning yeah. inside of one product. And it's applying what I already learned. Like I'm in an application phase, you know, it's because right. another way you can say earning is like there's learning and there's application and there, right. it's, that's what I'm doing now is application. And right. so I, I'm, I'm not, I learned how to run a CNC, but because I was so familiar with them in CAD, it wasn't quite that big of a learning curve. And right. so it's mostly application. So you're in, you're in refinement now, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I'm working through, I'm working through a batch of folders, um, and because of all the changes over the last couple of years, like I haven't been doing what I like my production, I've made mistakes that I never make. And they're just oversights because the muscle memory is not there. Um, and it is super frustrating because it's crunch time. And so mm-hmm. where I'm at is basically I, t- I take notes on every build I do. Um, and so it's been, it's been pretty good. The, like a lot of the mistakes are really like minor things just as far as like setup, but just oversight. So basically take the notes through a batch, implement the changes on the next batch. And that is, that's like, that is learning, but it's not like the, that's not the super fun stuff mm-hmm. either. Yeah. Uh, I always, I think pretty much along what you said, I think seven years is what I've said in the past where I felt like the first seven years of knife making, all I was doing was learning. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting cause I kind of feel like I'm swinging back around to it because I'm learning like um, next month is, is scheduled for basically a deep dive into CNC and how I can improve my like processes and workflow. Mm-hmm. That's big learning, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the forging, I mean, that's all learning. Like metal go squish. Yeah. That's different. Yeah. You know, turn it orange and then hit turn it, it the orange, hit it, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> but only hit it the right way. It's yeah. crazy. Um, yeah, man, it's a, so you, okay. So you're on, you're kind of on a pause. Is that something that you actively think about where you're like, okay, I'm going to take a year. I'm not going to pursue any new technologies or new processes. Um, I think we can also divide this a little bit because I, I would also say like I am always learning kind of as yeah. we alluded to earlier. Totally. like you can't avoid it. I mean, if even if you're executing and applying things that you've learned, like you're still correcting, adding notes, changing small course corrections, all that stuff. So I'm always doing that. But as far as macro learning and like blue ocean stuff, yep. yeah, it's almost like a complete hold um, because there's there's things that I have like kind of waiting in the wings that I want to explore. And I actually had a conversation with the guy at Blade Show about a technology I want to look into. But for now, I'm going to have him help me 
with this and uh, and just outsource it, even though it used to be in my wheelhouse to have learned right. this because it's a digital thing. Um, now it's like I might have him help me and then later have him teach me. But right now I'm more concerned with making knives, you know. Right. So it's a it's a hold on, like I said, blue ocean, big picture learning. Right. And that's I think part of that is like a growth phase too in in business. You you and I talked about it uh when we were in Salt Lake after we went to Silencer Co. Because we as we're walking around, you're like, you know, Andrew's like, oh, that's the that's like the founder's shop. And he was like running some motorcycle parts. Mm-hmm. He's at a point where he can go back to learning because the systems are in place. The work is is, you know, in production, but he's he is still wanting to keep his hands in probably the technology, the processes, but it's not directly tied to like the output of the company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is pretty, pretty fun. Yeah. It's all I've likened it to, you know, you're building a, a train or something. You start with the engine yeah. and then you can start adding cars to the back. Yeah. And then pretty soon you can go to the very back and there's a hot tub and yeah. you got someone driving at the front. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that sounds, you, that sounds pretty good. But if you don't have the engine running, you're not going anywhere. So yeah. that's where it starts. It's a pretty good, I think you, we have established this. You have a different type of ability to focus than I do. Um, I'm, you, I think you I might give scattered. me more credit than I deserve. I might, focus. maybe. I don't. <laughs> I think I can it's get pretty scattered. I think it's output based, and the ability to be like, all right, I'm working on this one model. I'm going to improve this model, and we're just going to roll for even the the thought of like I'm putting learning on hold. Mm-hmm. My brain doesn't like that. Well, what I'm having fun with is corralling. Like my brain is full of cats, and I have to corral them. Um, and I'm, I'm having fun with building systems around myself yeah. that like that work for me. Um, and so I like the, the concept of systems that work for you. Yep. And then eventually you work for the system. Yeah. And so that's kind of a weird transition to think about. But it's kind of like what I was talking about, where if you have uh, a company that you're building and y- you then even if you don't hire someone, like if you have a system, like you said, where you take notes, this is how I do anodizing. This is how I do this. Like you, you're referring to those notes and it is telling you what to do. Yes. And that's ultimately what you want to be happening for performance in the long term. Well, that um, is, and, I mean, that's like a base, basic principle, right? Which is like, ideally, you don't want to solve the same problem twice. Exactly. And so that kind of leads into what I'm doing right now that I was working on today is I have, I mean, the Overland looks simple, right? It's just simple knife. It's a fixed blade. Um, but when you're manufacturing it all in-house, including the sheath, there's like, I don't know, 50 to 70 individual things that if, if I have, if I forgot to order one thing, yeah. even if it's just a screw, yeah. everything stops. Right. Um, and that I've had that happen numerous times. And so I'm, I'm setting up a system like you've heard of Kanban cards yep. where it's like you, you order twice as much as you need of everything. And then you use up the first half Right. And then you order at that point another yeah. addition, you know, and so it's like you're you're always feeding yourself parts and you you just when the card pops up, you just boom, reorder order it. Yep. And yeah, so I've, I've done that with belts. It's yeah. like bare minimum is, you know, it's like five belts of a grip. And then when I hit that five, I order my full restock, whether mm-hmm. that's like 25 of a grid or whatever yep. it is. Um, I do the same thing with with hardware screws because yeah. you're you're creating a little bit of a cushion in there if there's a delay on the backside. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, in addition to that, there's a cost to it. 
there is. Because there's, there, it's easy to tell yourself like, well, I'm going to buy twice as many uh, sheets of Kydex or clip screws or whatever. And you're like, well, I would have spent that money anyway. I'm just buying more up front. Well, that's not right. totally true. Right. Because if you always have inventory on the shelf, that's cash, not in the bank. Right. So it's like the purchase, like if I'm going to order, what I've been doing is like, I want to have enough of each thing for a hundred knives all the yeah. time in back. And that backlog of a hundred knives of parts is a sunk cost that will not be recovered because you now have cash, like I said, literally sitting on the shelf that would have been in your bank account otherwise. Um, and so really for me to do this, it's just, I just have to be willing to commit the money, you know, to do it. Right. Uh, but it, it's a must. And I, I'm trying to think how this ties exactly into the learning versus earning, but oh, I think that's learning. what I'm describing is like yeah. in the earning sphere of like moving this forward, I'm learning how to do these things. Right. Um, but yeah, those are the, those are, that's the beauty I think of what we do and probably why if learning is what I would do untethered from financial responsibility, why this as a career still works. Be mm-hmm. like for instance, on this batch of folders, I cut my locks in a completely new way. Uh, I cut them on the milling machine. I cut them flat instead of, you know, a, a like a like a radius lock face. Um, I scrapped two heat treated blades, prime example. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but at the at the end I have a lock that I'm actually way happy with um, nice. and a process that is now more precise and more repeatable. That was actually for, for being kind of a small step aside, it's actually a pretty big movement forward for the end product. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the same with the, like when we were talking about the inlays, I just, it wasn't fitting an inlay. It was figuring out how to cut inlays with no fixturing. Um, and I ended up on cutting dry using masking tape. Um, I think it was NYC CNC or somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And my buddy um, Keaton kind of helped me through that process a little bit. And it's like, it took me some time. I scrapped some parts, but at the end of it, I was like, it's way easier than what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So little bits of learning. Yeah. Okay. So the other like bombastic, excited type of learning Um where I kind of ended up with, with the forging thing, I, what I realized is like, there's no, there's no real desire to like integrate forging into the business for like financial gain. Mm-hmm. Not really, but it is, it's like a pressure release kind of thing. It's really fun just to go and use my hands in a different way, use my brain in a different way. Um, but it's cool. Cause your eyes are still seeing like you, you have an expectation of precision but you're trying to get there by like, you know, driving, driving something with, you know, four wheel steering in reverse mm-hmm. kind of like craziness. Yeah. Um, so what's the, what's the pressure relief valve that I can do? I can either wait until I'm like not busy or I can look at it from a standpoint of like, what time do I have? And am I better scrolling Instagram or like doing this activity. So I tied it into two things. My shop's cold in the morning. So what I've been doing is I come into the shop, I fire up the forge, I forge for 30 minutes, totally satisfies my desire. 
and especially in the winter because yeah in the winter it's heat. great man like it it also has a really interesting side effect so i said i'm like hey my my system is done i can now start forging not actually true the first time i went and started forging i was like oh man okay i need to build a work rest for my forge i need a quench tank for my tongs and I need a hot cut hardy. That level of growth and like development as a process only comes through actually working. Mm-hmm. So as an efficiency, I think a lot of times you are better off starting work, even if you don't have the amount of time you'd like to dedicate to it, because it will make your workflow in the long run much more efficient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes sense. It's kind of weird. Yeah. It's yep. like, it was like totally backwards. Like, Cause I'm like, I just ready, fire, to aim. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's like, it is the setup. It is the setup that is so necessary. And I think like a lot of people spend a lot of time in kind of struggling through these efficiency points and trying to get things working. Man, half I- hour a day. I've kind of found myself leaning in a little bit different direction in that when I, when I go and do something new like that, where it's kind of exploratory, I look at it as I, I I have this completionist bug in my brain of like, if I'm going to start it, I'm going to pound it until it's finished. Right. Um, and I've, it's, it can, it can be bad for me. It can be good for me. It can be, you know, somewhere in between. Um, but I have a hard time like saying, I'm going to do something for 30 minutes a day. Totally. It's like, it's like, I, I need to do it for five days straight and then put it down. Like that's just how I, I end up being. Right. Um, and so what, what it ends up being from a functional standpoint is I, I work hard to prevent starting things. Right. Because generally my, my inclination is to start a lot of things. And so most of the time it's just like, don't start that. Don't start that. And then it's like, okay, ready, go. And then full in. Right. When, and so, but then, yeah, there's consequence to that that's, because then that's you just the never thing. start it. Because when you're when you're busy, so this is saying I am too busy to do this other thing that I'm interested in. There, there's like a lot of hard points in life where you like you don't have the option of having any flexibility, whether that's financial or time obligation. Um, I would say that my tendency is to do the same thing, right? I would just dive in and then I would spend five days doing this. What I'm essentially trying to create is a system that protects the earning side of the business. So I know that I have this piece of me that is not really content unless I'm kind of experimenting and playing. Mm -hmm. I also know that that is not in the immediate sense of, funding business, paying mortgages, sending kids to school, my primary concern. Mm -hmm. So essentially it's like a coping mechanism of, okay, well, how can I satisfy this itch, but not let it derail me in a way that is negative and caveat this also 30 minutes doesn't work in everything that you would want to do. Yeah. Obviously like I have the luxury of, turning on a gas forge and five minutes later, like I'm finishing my coffee and everything's ready to go. 30 minutes is essentially 
I can pretty much like forge a blank, even with mm-hmm. really poor skills and like learning the whole time. So my, as I'm adapting this kind of where my head is at is to look for projects that theoretically could be done in 30 minutes or so that teach basic blacksmithing, like foundational techniques, right? So like, Mm -hmm. uh, upsetting, hot punching. It's like, can I make a, can I make a, a key hook in 30 minutes? Can I make like, this is going to sound ridiculous, but like the idea of making nails is really fun. Mm -hmm. Is it so different? It's like the, just making a nail, like a square nail. Yeah. Square nail, little forged Mm -hmm. upset head. For me, like the first thing I started forging, I was playing with knives, but I realized really quick, I have less interest in trying to forge a knife out of the gate than I do like trying to figure out how to forge tongs or, or a hammer. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that idea of kind of like, Hey, what, what can, what technique can I learn? Then when I have a day, a week, a month that I can focus on forging those there's some basic foundation in place that makes that month maybe actually profitable. The pump pump is primed. The pump is primed. Yeah. So yeah, cause it, man, it's hard. We get, mm-hmm. when you're, when you're in it fully just running, running the business, it's really easy to let those, those, those learning points or like kind of adventure, exploratory processes just slip by the wayside for not sure. an immediate concern. It's an, it's a concern after 15 years. Yeah. And, and to speak to what I was saying, like if you build a, a system or a process that you're working for and then you just become an operator, it's like, yeah. at what point do you start to lose something of what right. you originally were? Right. Um, and I, I can see that's where, what you're possibly going through is like, you've built the system it's running and now you're like, there's that, that younger you like that back in those days where all you were doing is learning. That's like coming back to the surface. Yep. And I can say, I don't have that sensation, but I bet it will come. Yep. Um, and it's w- one thing that kind of interacts with this is like my dad, he, he was telling me something. I don't know if you read an article or a book, but if you look at all of the really famous scientists, like the Isaac Newtons and like these people that are the ultimate learners, right? They learned about the universe. They made their impression. They discovered the atom. They did X, Y, Z. Almost all of them in this article or whatever that he read, you can sort see where they were like on some kind of retainer. Either they had like a lordship or they were like some (laughs) kind of landowner or some kind of royalty. Right. And or they essentially had like a, uh, what is it in the arts? Why, why can't, why am I searching for this word? Sponsorship. yeah, like a uh, man, like a benefit endowment. Yeah, right. Yeah, it, in, in a patron. Yeah, yeah. It right. in some sense they had someone wealthy behind them, or they themselves, or a university, or something that was like, we're just gonna delete the earning side from your life. Yeah, and you just learn. Yeah, and that just work. to 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 reach the level where your name is like in black and white in a history book, three hundred and fifty yeah. years later, it takes that to a certain extent, and so part of it is like what kind of, what are you trying to do? Because in some sense we are like trying to do a balance. So you're not trying to become the ultimate forge guy that, you know, a hundred years from now 
you're like the the absolute hist- historical figure of forging. Right. I, I presume that's not like right. what you're trying yeah, to no. do. And so it's like you have to approach it in knowing that like if you want this, if you did, if you did want to do that, building your system as an as a uh, profitable system that then pays for you is hard to do. Right. And would be a big project. And so it's like setting your expectations for what is this learning going to achieve? Right. Is probably a big. And does it need, and does it need to achieve anything? I think I look at a lot of business in general as, so if we look at ourselves as our own patrons, essentially the business, can the business be my patron? Our collectors and customers and clients, the companies we work with in reality are like the funding for that. But the business can make decisions that allows you to have freedom to learn, right? I think that's why in my early 20s, I had started focusing on passive income streams so heavily because I realized I was like, man, I have to make myself obsolete from at least part of my earning, right? Mm -hmm. Is there a point where you just play and learn? And, and, Arguably, yes. Right. So like, I don't know very many like makers that think about retirement in like the the idea of like, hey, one day I'm going to buy myself a gold watch and close down my shop. Right. But the idea of financial independence to where you could never make another item and you have enough money, Mm -hmm. I think is that that's like where, you know, the shop gets really, really nicely outfitted and you're basically building whatever you yeah. want. I see that turn, as retirement. Turn your money-making machine of a shop into a toy. Into, a, a into another version of a toy. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, someone like on the forging side, someone who I think is really interesting from the standpoint of kind of like what they're doing and what they're building is Liam Hoffman. Mm, yeah. Because he is, he is building... I mean, it's like he's building a company that someone would have built 200 years ago. Mm-hmm. Very much Full, so. you know, it's like, it's like building, you know, Grunsfors Brooks or something. It's really impressive to watch. Uh, and like the way that he looks at the end product, but also the production methods and how he gets there. I mean, it's it is wild to see. Yeah. And because of that, the volume is there. He's a young guy. 20 years from now, I would imagine a lot of those processes can be done in a way that they're teachable. And mm-hmm. he, at some point, will be able to step away from the components that he would want to. Yeah. Um, really cool. I saw a while back he bought a, it's like a, it's a duplicating lathe. Hmm. So he can build axe handles. And oh, yeah. this is a this is a prime example. Like his work is super labor intensive. Okay. Like hands-on the whole time. Looks like he's mm-hmm. got a few helpers. Yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, he hand forges axes and hand makes the handles, started like yep. in a garage shop. Yeah. And has become this kind of preeminent leader in like these fa- these high-end forged handmade american axes super functional american made axes um, yeah and truly following. forged i mean yeah, truly pounding forged. them with hammers and like yeah. 
trip hammers in you know bit real not like cnc anywhere just we're talking right. a blacksmithing shop on steroids it is it's why it's really yeah. wild to see and he has the roots where everything started in like you know i think he learned from like an old older blacksmith when he was really young and like progressed from that like purely hand forged didn't, process didn't you win forged in fire yeah, like I think he won Channel TV and show. Fire. Yeah, yeah he's super. I mean, super talented. When he makes knives, mm-hmm. the knives are beautiful. Like he's and he, I would say that like I think of him as like a traditionally trained blacksmith in a way. Like I think he has a skill set that like is not just making a knife or making an axe. I think he understands like the the conceptual and functional aspects of blacksmithing at a very high mm-hmm. level. The right? process is the product. Process is the product. Okay, so here's where this diverges, right? So he's got this line. This is how they build product. He adds a duplicating lathe. He can now produce his own axe handles internally, right, without a draw knife, okay? But he can also open that up and produce axe handles for other makers. Mm-hmm. That is, he took his skill set. He figured out a way to automate a component of it. And now that he was able to step away from in some way and that that's a passive income stream Mm -hmm. and it's creating value inside of our business. So it's like even someone like him where he's so like, he's probably like one of the hardest working makers. Like you look at how they work and they (laughs) just work. He's a beast. He's a beast. It's really cool to see even in there, he's able to take some time and develop a new process, develop a new income stream. Um, Pretty impressive. Yeah. It's like he's a, an individual from another era. Definitely. You know, and it's, it seems to serve him well. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I don't know, man. My head has been on it a lot lately, I think, because like, as for me, as I get, uh, especially around show prep, two things happen. I get anxious and the anxiety like supercharges my creativity has always happened. Um, if I could figure out a way to, fake that system inject pure adrenaline in. yeah inject pure <laughs> adrenaline as creativity it would be amazing because what happens is i start solving problems in a different way but i also start having ideas and balancing that around a hard deadline is is, is really interesting here's an interesting thing that i've that i've read actually a fair bit about so it it kind of alludes to this. So like stress in general yeah. is kind of demonized, I guess, right. in modern culture. It's like it avoided at all costs, like don't work the stressful job, et cetera, which right. is to some extent true. But there is a, uh, there is some science that like there is an amount of stress that is required uh, to live and to live fulfilling lives. 100%. But in addition to that, the, uh, the, the view that you have on stress is something that is different now than it used to be in like a hundred years ago for most people. And that it, it, uh, what I've read is that like, if you perceive the stress to dismantle your abilities and it's your enemy and it's a problem and it is slowing you down, it's stopping you, it's making you anxious. If you perceive it that way, it actually fulfills itself in that way. Right. And it does those things. But if you have the same stress and you look at it as a tool, it like greatly improves its impact on you. And it, it actually, it's, it's all about perspective on stress. And there's this yep. huge study that I read about that. And it's fascinating. And it's alluding to what you're saying right now is like 
when you feel stress, when you feel anxiety, think of it as a motivator. Don't yeah. think of it as the enemy. And then you harness it. And it's, it's something I've been working on. Yeah. yeah. There, well, Use there's it. different, there's different types of stress. That is the big takeaway. Um, my old therapist, uh, he was an executive coach as well. I really like this guy he helped me just in an insane amount in like everything from personal stuff, like through the business. But we had a conversation around that, which was there is a baseline of stress that high achievers, like there's this stress flow state, like balance point that people try to maintain. Like if you're, you know, if you're like, you know, doing like you're on like the nootropic, like neurohacking, you know, biohacking train, like you're actually looking at this and going, okay, if I can maintain like this level of stress and like creativity, there's an efficiency around that. Pretty wild. Their brains are cool. Yeah. So yeah, mine, I like, I don't know. I don't know that I would want it all the time. It comes in bursts. And again, I think a lot of times it's around a hard deadline. Um, but there is a, there's usually like a drain on the backside of it. Right. Over the years, I've gotten better at accepting like the process, you mm-hmm. know, the, the idea that like, okay, like this is a phase I'm in it. I'm going to like capitalize on it when it goes away, not trying to chase it, but just allowing like, okay, cool. That is, that's foot off the gas for a little Mm -hmm. while. Mm -hmm. Um, Would you say you, you end up with more anxiety or stress in a learning or an earning phase? Are they similar? uh, For me, bad stress and anxiety comes, I would say more around, and it's weird because earning, earning itself if it's developmental is really exciting. If it's, if I feel like all I'm doing is working for the money, I start to resent that. Hmm. Um, there has to, for me, there has to be like some other component. Um, or there, I think in, in reality, like if you look at the way that you run your business, there is almost always something that you could do that would either make more money or like, I guess make more money inside of the business or outside of the business. Mm -hmm. So if that was your sole driver, there's a good chance that you don't have the business you have. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's, maybe that's not like a hundred percent accurate. Like if we just look at it inside of our businesses, I think that you could easily make decisions that would make you more money, but make you less happy. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I think I've, I'm, I'm, I'm still exploring how I react to these things because like I said, it is a newer era that I'm in where I'm making knives. I think for me, oddly enough nowadays, the learning part is actually the more stressful part for me because I'm in this mode, at least this season for now of like, I've got to, I've got to act like action is everything right now and like doing things and like move advancing the ball in a sense. And so it's like, maybe it's a seasonal thing in my life, but as far as if I, if I try to like, really just like relieve myself of all shop duties for a month, yeah. like you, like how you're learning CAD, like that sounds like one of the most stressful things I could do right now. Yeah. And I um, would say that's, and, I would say that's a season, right? Cause mm-hmm. you're in development, the lights got to stay on, everything has to run. Like, so the idea of stopping that momentum 
it would be super disconcerting. Yeah. Right. That's true. That's true. It does. It does. It, it does matter what your momentum situation is, whether you're, you feel plateaued or whether you feel like you're on an upswing. Right. Um, that, there's different. Well, and can you take the time? And I've been, I've mm-hmm. been experimenting with th- these kind of ideas for a while. And like, I mean, honestly, sometimes they've gotten me into trouble. Sometimes they put me behind. Sometimes they've cost me a lot of money. Um, but that's, that's also part of the learning process, right? Which is, I, I look at the way, the way that my business is run and the, the, like the ecosystem of like what I consider my business, that is an area where I have never really plateaued per, like for myself, because there's mm-hmm. all, there's always something that I'm, I'm curious about, mm-hmm. um, whether that is, Hey, do I file as an LLC or as an S corp? Okay. Like how do we invest? How do we, there's so many little things or like, can I, like, can I step away? What does it take me to step away? Okay. Well, we need to have fulfillment if we want to have the website running. So it's like, that is, that is something where there's these small changes that are big efficiencies for the business. Um, that like, man, you just, you can just continue moving on. Yeah, always and like another adapting stone and learning. Yeah, there's always something. The, I think the hard skills are sometimes the ones that are like trickier to. It would be like you getting a CNC lathe right now. Mm-hmm. If you had a fully tooled CNC lathe in your shop, staring at you, it's paid for. You have tooling. You would have a very hard time like not going out in the Absolutely. evening and like flipping yeah. it on. Yeah, you know, or something. And so it's. Might as but, well be a, a lunar lander for me because I don't know anything about you, know, you would go down. You would probably go down yeah. a rabbit hole. But yeah. and how does that start? It would be like you're at a point where you're like, man, all right, end of the year, did really well this year. Think I'm going to buy a machine. Don't need another mill. Think I'm going to get a lathe. Don't necessarily need it today, but it's a good time to purchase one. That stuff stacks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right like yeah after a while you're like man because that that essentially happened for us a little bit it was like i ended up getting a laser and then you know you you got 3d printers you you had a more organic kind of process with some of this stuff because it actually fit into your normal workflow right whereas like when i added them when i added 3d printing i wasn't doing 3d modeling i was doing everything two and a half d like so i couldn't 3d print anything so it's like all of a sudden I lost a week and like I made a square. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, that is one benefit I had of coming to the, like I'll say this to anybody out there, CNC, 3d printing, all that. It all starts with CAD. I mean, it's just, that was, it just, like you said, was organic for me. Um, and that's where the difference between you and I is like the organic thing for you is if you stepped in my shop, you would sharpen a knife like compared to when I started like sharpening a knife faster, better, easier, you know, stoning and like doing all these, you know, hand, hand hand work. And so that's, that is the learning curve that I've been on for the last couple of years, but that's fortunately on a knife like the Overland that it's mostly technology is what I'm putting into it. So it it would be, it's the next knife that I make that could be like a folder or something right? where, I'm going to be up against it. You know what I mean? Kind of yeah. like you buying a 3d printer. Well, but the cool thing that, and, and maybe this is, this is part of the takeaway here, which is like, if you are a learner, 
right? And you have the desire to keep progressing and learning new what techniques or or anything, whatever it is. Creating a system that runs efficiently, that can fund your explorations is super valuable. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that I would say like one or the other. It's like, it's like if you look at like the, like investing and you look at like the fire movement, right? Like the early fire is stands for financial independence, retire early. So like the early kind of, uh, devotees of, of that concept were like, put everything on hold for 10 years, save, like live off of ramen, live out of your car, save every cent because in 10 years you'll be able to retire. Man, that's a big gamble. Yeah, it is. And you're putting I, off a lot of life. I, yeah, that's, I can't say I subscribe to that. Like I, and, and I would say that the majority of people, even around those movements now do not because they've seen mm-hmm. how that shakes out. So I would look at work in a very similar concept, which is if there's something that you're wanting to learn, not putting it off. Like if all you want to do is learn, not putting off efficiency, you need to develop something that's efficient. If, Mm -hmm. if you want to, if you, you're hoping to be more creative and learn more, not putting that off in, in case of efficiency, did I get that backwards? Either way, it's like not putting everything off to be efficient or not putting everything off to learn. I think there's a, a real balance point. Let me say this right now that just occurred to me. The earning phase is full bore in the business, like we talked about yeah. for me, but I'm learning a lot right. about World War II and World War One. Yeah. <laughs> so like that th- that's where my that's where my like learning bug is being, you know, attacked. What does that like, look I, like? Is that is that morning or evening reading? I read books and then I, I listen to podcasts yeah. about the wars all day, every day. All day, every day. I mean, we're talking 40 hours a week. Um, and so it's like, I just, I learn by the gallon while I'm earning. Right. I guess. And Man, that, I that guess, is, I guess that's why I don't feel any itch right now. And right. I, I think that's the ma- the magic f- the, for what I'm doing. That's what's yep. made it work. Yep. Yeah. There's always, well, and that, I guess it goes back to that, that like macro view. I mean, we listen to so many hours of audiobooks. So there's never really a point where you're not like learning something. Yeah. Um, but it, but it's a, yeah, it's a different level. So inside of the work, you have these small areas where you're constantly uh, progressing, developing, you know, refining. Then you still have kind of areas of like the, the edges where maybe you're reading or you're listening to audio. So I guess in my head, this, like I said in the beginning, which is like the shiny object, which is something that you, that will detract fully from, from you making, uh, money. If it requires me to do any, I think that's why history works so well for me because it doesn't involve using your hands. Like it just, there's really no way it can. And so it's like, if it's, if it's all intellectual, that's a good thing for me to be diving into because I can go down an enormous rabbit hole and it really doesn't affect anything I'm doing. It's interesting. Um, I've never, I've never really tried history as like my audio stream. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, lately I've kind of been maxing out on the, 
like the like the hacks like mm-hmm. you know i listen to a lot of self-help tim, type tim ferris like a lot of like philosophical conversations you know people that are achievers in different areas um lots of financial stuff like all over and lately i've just like th- i haven't been biting on it like i'll have it on in the background but it's not engaging mm-hmm. um news has had like a similar effect where i feel like i put it on by by default but i'm not really getting anything out of it so the in general what i would switch to is like fiction mm-hmm. maybe going into like some some history would be a good totally yeah, nonfiction, but it, super interesting. The way I view it is I've pretty much abandoned fiction. Like I yeah. don't I don't listen to anything. Like if I watch a TV show, I love it when it's historical. Like I yeah. because I like to be like pacified in like a learning state. Yeah. But knowing something that's was actually true is just more valuable at the end of it. Yeah. As opposed to learning something like the narrative of some fictional character. Unless yeah, it's like fair. a a fictional approach for me, to it's a movies. Real event. It's I can't I can't watch them. I love movies. I can't watch a movie while I'm working, but I can mm-hmm. listen to audio. Yeah, yeah history, uh, man. Like I, I've I've like a full blown addiction to it, and it's it does gel perfectly with what I do, uh, right? Because like I said, it it doesn't use my hands, and I can't. It's like if I'm listening to something that's going to lead me towards the shiny object syndrome. You know, like I I always I love the automobile industry, but like. Right. I watch car reviews on YouTube all the time right. and then it starts to make <laughs> me think like I need a winch and bumper. I need yeah. to like, uh, you know, I should go test drive. You know, it's just like, uh, it, it's an expensive hedonic, possibility hedonic at the end of the road. Yeah. Whereas if you listen to history, it's like you can consume a lifetime of history without spending any money, without you ever tying yourself up. You right. know, it works good. And then it's just kind of cool to know. I mean, you just see patterns in it and stuff. It's pretty cool. Pretty neat. How off topic completely, but like originally World War II, World War One, those are like your primary focuses? Or I, I've War listened II? to quite a bit of Civil War, but Civil mostly War, yeah. World War, mostly World War II. And then I've recently kind of started to move towards World War One. So U.S. wars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. But that but is in the that, World it, Would you say you have like a, a genre? Like, As, is that it? Like, how did well, you get in, involved in that genre in the first place? In that genre? Like what drew, well, yeah, what drew you into that? World War II always had my attention, I guess. Um, I don't know, just as a kid, like being interested in like thinking tanks are cool. Right. And just, I don't know, it, it just, I was just drawn towards it naturally. I don't know. World War II first. I mean, my, my grandpa didn't fight. He went to, he was in the army, but after the war. So like, uh-huh. there's not necessarily a direct family tie there, but the reason it really drew me in is like, as soon as you start to consume it, stuff about world war two, it's, it reads exactly like fiction, right? It's like, yeah. it's the same thing it's as listening amazing. to like a star Wars something yeah. or like a, it just, it's virtual fiction, but then it isn't, which, so it's, so here's a question for you. This is where I was going with it, which is if you've been interested in, history based around wars combat how do you think because I, I guess let me let me gather my thoughts ultimately you don't you're not like you're not a tactical knife maker i would say right like mm-hmm. that was never a genre yeah. that you yeah. pursued i would say that a lot of people that were interested in military history slid into some variation of tactical knives 
And that mm-hmm. could be, I mean, you're not building trench knives either. So even if you're like, man, the history is so cool, this knife existed, you have this skill set. Do you feel that your interest in military history affects your design process? Well, I did do the 1942 series. You did do that. I did the, like a World War II era product design. Yep. Um, and that's no more now because I've just focused on knives so solely. Good. But but I do want to, I do want to, probably influence some designs with some world war ii stuff but the thing is i just when it comes to my design philosophy it's like i just want to use it like it's just i don't want to design something i'm not going to use and like i just there's not like a bone in my body that just thinks about being on a battlefield and right i I just i don't think about using a tactical knife it just doesn't enter my well a tactical is like it's a very catch-all phrase like if you think Mm -hmm. about a knife like tactical does not necessarily mean specifically combat driven like in, in the context that we look at it now, it can mm-hmm. be like, I still, I think of it as like, Oh, it's a hospital knife, you know? Yeah. Or it's like, you're like a machete in, in yeah. a way, right? Because it's a knife and, that's used in that theater. And I would say in the war, like it, listening to world war two history and stuff, a big part of what I like listening to is actually a little bit more macro yeah. than like a soldier. Of course, you know, it's a little bit more of like, it's, it's like high level chess, 3d chess and like the, the politics and the decision making is probably like the most interesting part. Um, like I read it, it actually might affect like the way that you conduct your business and negotiations that might be like the inspiration point more than from a product. I, and even, even from the standpoint of like, I have a lot of inspirations that, that I think, um, show up in my work, but they're not, it's not something that is like a visual one-to-one. So I didn't know if there was something where you're like, oh yeah, these types of proportions or like these, you know, I don't know, just like a certain type of line or anything like that. If it came out of that like time period for you. Uh, but, beside, the standard issue series was a very over direct yeah. approach in that regard. But as far as like, for example, the Overland, like I, I take it back in some ways, because like the Overland is, is designed, the design is based on a Jeep Wrangler, yeah. which so there is you go. the Jeep from World War II. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, the, if you look at the Overland from CRKT, it's got the Jeep seven slot grill on the side right. of it. So that's, that's like yeah. a prime example. And like some of the colorways and stuff, like you've got mats, you've got, you know, the green. Mm-hmm. So, and then on yours, you have like the little bird's eye handle screws with the brass, like that feels, yeah. that could feel very like world war ii yeah I, I i wouldn't necessarily say that the shape is world war ii era it's but yeah the, the palette like totally. I, I anybody that knows me knows i'm obsessed with od green and i would tie it to my world war ii interest yeah. because totally OD green it's, yeah. it's the color so yeah. yeah yeah if the if the overland existed from a visual design process in world war ii it would be like the future, it would be a historical fiction future past world war two. Sort of. Yeah. Right. Like the, the standard issue series, what I, what I describe that as is like, I'm not replicating right. any product that existed. I'm pretending I was designing in that era, something yeah. new totally. from that era that didn't exist, but didn't I didn't exist through the lens of that. Yeah. Right. Which is fun. I, yeah, I, I think that's, that. I think that is very, I mean, again, learning and like mm-hmm. the, yeah. that's, that's where the idea of capsule collections is so intriguing to me. Capsule Beca- like, yeah, capsule collection, like working inside of a concept for, for design, 
mm-hmm. essentially like creating for on our side, like if Burnley brand did it right. So what would it look like? It's like, maybe it is an entire collection that is early 2000s tactical all the way out to like the way the logos are treated. Like there, there's the, the finishes really taking it, like doing, doing graphics around patches and like you drop this thing and it is, it's like a cohesive collection. Yeah. Yeah, but it no, but it's I'm something that wouldn't that. yeah wouldn't necessarily fit in like the standard like product line maybe yeah well that's um, a page out of Ken Onions book I don't know if he's yeah. explained it to you but he he'll talk about designing a knife and he'll say he'll put himself in a scenario that is fantastic and wild and interesting and then yeah. think of what the knife in front of him should look like so he'll be like I'm on a spaceship yep. or I'm an abor- Aboriginal tribe yep. member in Australia backcountry yep. like. And then design a knife and yep. then whatever comes out of it is something different. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've, I think we've touched on that. I do one that I call an aerial, which is, it's like really similar. I do bird's eye view, you know, 30,000 feet and I zoom in. And as I'm zooming in, it's like, it's like you're, you know, parachuting in. The scene is coming into focus from large scale to small scale. So mm-hmm. Like I always used it around originally around like tactical knives. So like the idea would be like, Oh, are you dropping into a desert, an urban environment, a jungle? Okay. As you're coming through, it's like, you're starting to see like the machinery and the buildings and then you're, you're coming in closer and closer. And then like you're ending up on one person and their gear. Mm -hmm. And it's just a really, it's like a fun thought exercise. I think Ken's is, is like a very similar Mm-hmm. kind of process. Um, yeah. are you familiar with Virgil England? I'm not. Okay. So I'm going to give you some homework. Um, yeah. Virgil England is one of my all time favorite knife makers. And I, I, I like hesitate to call him a knife maker, but he, he essentially created an entire world that he pulled his designs from. It's called the Hetlands. And so like, he's got like ceremonial knives from like these priests on this side of the country. It is so cool, man. The work is amazing. It's kind of like the, who's the author of Lord of the Rings? Uh, Tolkien. Tolkien. How he created a language and all this crazy stuff. Kind of like that. Have you, are you, are you a a Tolkien fan at all? Tolkien, Tolkien. I'm not going to lie. I'm not really in, I just, fiction's never... I mean, I watch so it. I mean, it's kind watch, of, kind but of good, watch the but. documentary on, or not that it's not a documentary. It's like a, it's like a historical fiction on him because he, he wrote those during the war. He was in the war. Mm. It's crazy. Like he's one of those people where you look and you're like, how do you exist? Yeah. How like the books are so, and I would, I would also say even not being interested in fantasy like to read the Lord of the Rings series yeah, and to <laughs> it's, it's think of crazy. it as like a, a cultural piece from the, think war of it period. as a cultural piece from the war period. Yeah. That's interesting. And just like, how did this guy's brain, like how does he put that together? Mm-hmm. Pretty fun. That's really cool. So what he was um, worried about learning. You said it Virgil, <laughs> you, Virgil England. Virgil yep. England. Okay, yep, I'm gonna. That, that's my. That's my homework. Yep. Do your, a little research. Your homework. I got to recommend a World War Two. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna ask you. Uh, there's a audio book. Okay. By, oh, dude, I've just spaced it. The author is a Canadian guy. We all know who he is. Malcolm Gladwell. Oh yeah. You, yep. He did a book on. He wanted to do a World War Two book. 
because he's really into World War II, but he wanted to do something no one had done before. And he did it as an audio book only. And oh, so wow. it's actually has like when if it's like a quote from FDR, it's uh-huh. the audio of him saying it. Oh, cool. And so it's not it's kind of like a documentary in an audio form, but it's Bomber Mafia oh. by Malcolm Gladwell. Okay. And it's fascinating. Okay. I'll, I'll keep coming to you for some recommendations. Yeah. If you listen to that, you'll kind of start to understand like how how it can be so interesting and yeah. what how it can be so addicting, I guess. Man, it's fun. All right. Yeah. Well, I think we should call it, man. I got, yeah. I got, I got a lot of work to do. Right. In a short amount of time. I, I got kids to wrangle and uh, all that good stuff. Like I said, today's my last day. This is kind of my last work commitment of this podcast. And then I'm, I'm out it. for a while. Well done, man. Looking forward to it. Well done. You earned it. Appreciate it, man. Cool. All right, man. That was a fun one. Yeah. Catch you later. All right. Thanks. And thanks, right. everybody. Yeah. We, oh, yeah. You, it, this really <laughs> turned into like just a conversation between Luke and I. So it felt good. I that, hope you guys enjoyed that it. That right there is is fully the origin of the podcast. And I love it because mm-hmm. you basically, we just forgot that we were doing a podcast for a minute. Yeah. So yeah. thank you for listening. Um, if we don't do another one before, you guys have a great Thanksgiving. Yep. Um, and keep learning. Yes. Yeah. And learning it and earning. Yeah. Try yeah. doing both if you can. It's like turn and burn, but learn and earn. Yeah, that's right. Catchphrase. All right. All right. Later, peace, man. everybody. Bye.